Man, aren't we truly blessed? Oh, today we will begin a new series, and it's probably y'all's favorite topic. We're going to talk about stewardship. Raise your hand if you were just waiting all year for this sermon. I don't see any hands up. Kyle, where was Kyle at? Is he not here? There you go. I got a hand. I got a Kyle Smith hand. But we're going to do it a little bit different probably than you've heard it. We're going to break it down into four parts. And hopefully you like this. Because in stewardship, there's a lot to it. It's more than just putting a little money in the offering plate. The first step of stewardship is making all the money that you can. You like that idea? It's true. You have to start off with something to be able to manage it. So if you have no resources, you don't have a starting point. The second one is give all you can. Giving is followed by saving. You have to save all that you can. And finally, now ladies, you might like this one. Or maybe men too, I'm sure I, I like it. The last one is spend all you can. So you got to make money, you got to give money, you got to save money, and you got to spend money. All four of these things are the essence of what being a steward means. You can't have one without the other. If all you do is save your money, it becomes nothing but a bank account. And these days, it's just digital out there in some land. You don't actually have a pile of money that you're saving. Some of you may bury it in the yard, but generally, you can save money, and that becomes just a digital print somewhere out in, I don't know, digital land, computer land. I don't know where that money goes, but it's just a count somewhere. Now, if you spend all your money without making it, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble, isn't it? But all of these things go together. And to do this, it's probably best that we focus on the parables of Jesus. And so for the next uh, four Sundays, starting with today, we are going to look at four different parables about stewardship and about what it means for us in light of the kingdom of God to handle the resources that we've been provided. So today, I would like to ask you to join with me in the Gospel of Matthew starting in chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 14. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who had called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to the other one, one. To each according to his own abilities. And immediately he went out on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But the one who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. Reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reaped where I had not sown, and you gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and to he who, <coughs> sorry, and he will have abundance. But to the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a powerful parable told by Jesus. Now, it's important to understand the context because when Jesus uses parables, it's always around teaching moments. It's it's ways to uh, help his disciples remember after he's gone on the things that he's taught them because it's much easier to remember a story than a lecture, isn't it? I mean, I bet you can date back to the times you were in college or high school or or maybe even elementary school, and you can probably still remember some of the stories that your teachers shared. But lectures or discussions on algebra and the Pythagorean theorem, maybe not so much. Preaching's that way. A lot of times you remember the stories and not the, the points. But if you get the essence of what these stories or these illustrations are about, you can bring home the points that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. And so our context in this one is basically from the fifth discourse in the Gospel of Matthew. That doesn't mean a whole lot, but Matthew was kind of broken down in different little sections. And this one is teaching about the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, the advent of Jesus, the incarnate Son of God dwelling among them. But he's also teaching him that he will leave, and there will be a time when he will not be with them. And there will be a seemingly delay until he returns again. And so we talk about it in the time of the already but not yet. That's the period that we live in. So in many ways, we are in the same period that Jesus is teaching about. Jesus has come. He has gave his life on the cross as a salvation for you to all who believe. But he has not yet returned to collect his bridegroom. So we still live in a time of pain, of death, and all these kind of things. We're in that time where it's already happened, but it's not yet complete. We have won the war, but the battle still rage on. Already, but not yet. And so that brings us to our parable today. This one's pretty easy. It follows a basic structure. We have the master who basically comes, and he's going on a journey. So to prepare, he gives over different assets to different ones of his servants or slaves as a Greek says and each according to his ability 
They're all distributed. The next section basically is what they do with the money. So the one who receives five goes about working on it immediately. The one who receives two, so on and so forth. The one who receives one buries it in the ground. And then finally, the third section, master comes and settles accounts. After a long period, the master comes back and settles accounts. For he gave to each one of these servants or slaves, however your Bible is translating, different portions of wealth according to their ability. Now, if you were paying attention to the children's message, it wasn't just a little bit of money. You can read this parable and not really understand it because we are removed from the cultural significance of what Jesus is talking about. You know, some of the translations now say bags of gold. So to the first servant was given five bags of gold. That was what we were trying to show with full bags. I mean, these are military packs, fully loaded is how we were measuring it. Anybody want to care to guess how much is that? You know, I'm not very good with math, but if we're talking about bags of silver, we're anywhere between $100,000 per sack to gold at its higher rates, closer to a million, 10 million, depending on where it's at in the market, because we know the value of gold fluctuates. But even if we're talking about the lower end and we're talking about silver, it is still a sizable income to be given to a servant. And so we have to expect, well, let's clarify a little bit. So if we're using the word slave, because that's really what was used here, Jesus is talking about slaves who work for a master. Many times when we read slave, we think back to our own historical context of American slavery. This is not the same as in Jesus' day. For slavery in Jesus' time was really more of just a household collection of servants. And so you had teachers. You had businessmen, and a lot of times they were acquired because of debts. So if you were a businessman and you made a bad venture and you ended up owing a landowner a bunch of money because of a bad investment, you'd end up being sold into slavery to make up for it. But there was a difference. You could actually work yourself out of these conditions. So you could earn extra money and out of profits and things like that. That was above and beyond what your master had asked you to do. You can actually earn your way out of slavery. But these were professional people. They were businessmen. And so when we look at the numbers and we see the vast amounts of treasures that basically the man was responsible for, when we think in the correct context, Jesus' day, this really wasn't anything out of the normal. If you had a master who had basically three servants to manage all of this wealth that he had, because this is a lot of money we're talking about, it wouldn't have been unusual that if he went out of town for a given period of time that he put them in charge of his estate. So he could still make profits when he came back. Whether he could manage directly or it was through his servants, this was what had been done. It's, it's kind of like today. If a CEO is going on vacation, he doesn't close the company for a month or so if he's going on a long vacation. No. The employees under him keep working because it is still valuable. Work is still valuable. And so he entrusts them with these large sums, some more than others. And so we think about it differently. Now, I always read this as a kid because I didn't really understand business stuff. I've still never been really great with earning money. There are some people here who know how to turn a profit off of anything. I usually start with a dollar and end up with 50 cents. That's not the way it's supposed to work. But some of us can take a dollar and make two. That was here. Now, you have to remember, 
When we read this, doubling somebody's money seems just like awesome thing. I mean, wow, they doubled their money. Has anybody ever taught you about compound interest in time? It's what they talk about when you're setting up retirement accounts. It's the idea of compound interest. What is compound interest? Well, basically, you take your principal. You take the amount you're hoping to earn as your interest rate in various investments. And then you add that each year. But you compound it by adding the interest that you've earned back into it. And you interest on top of that. So basically, you keep rolling stuff back into it. It builds a bigger ball. And every year, you gain a little bit more money. Kind of complicated to teach as opposed to simple interest, right? So simple interest is basically a certain rate off your principal times a number of years. It's not going to make you a lot of money, but it'll still grow. So if we're talking about compound interest in this situation, and we had very well uh, established business people. So the servants, uh, the master's businessmen, and let's say they do well, and they average making 8% a year. We know the businessman, this master, was gone for a period of time. They're doing it 8% maybe nine, ten years, they have doubled their money. Funny how compounding interest works. So we're not talking about something called out of the ordinary. These men did what they were supposed to. They made a reasonable return for their master, giving the extended period of time that he left. So if we're thinking about this parable, and we just see that these people were just extremely valuable because they could double a profit... Well, that would be something if we were thinking about a short term. But this is a long-term project. He was gone for a long time. And these businessmen, they didn't necessarily do anything extraordinary. They did honest work. They invested his money and they tended to it. And it gained, it gained, and it gained. And over time, they doubled the amount that they were entrusted with. A little different than simple. That's just if you throw it in a savings account, you don't have to do anything. It just kind of rolls along with time. And so as we're looking at these things, and we're talking about what that means today, let's compare. Because many times when we hear this parable, we're talking about using your God-given abilities for the kingdom of God. We spiritualize the whole thing, but in the case of this parable, Jesus is talking about actual human resources. How we manage what we have been given. And he also recognizes the fact that there are some people that are extremely gifted in the business world. And there's some people who know how to do things, but they may not have all the gifts. They may not have all the education. They may not have all the training. But they're still capable of doing some. And that's how it's divided. You've got some that we know, they just have ability upon ability upon ability. And whatever they seem to do turns to gold. And there's others that just have to work hard for every little bit they get. We have all of these covered in the parable, but Jesus is talking about actual human resources in the light of God. Or in the light of the kingdom of God. In the situation we find ourselves in. We have found in faith. A Jesus who has saved us from our sin. But we have found ourselves in a time period where Jesus has come, but he has not yet come to call us all home. And so how do we live our lives? Well, we're given the instruction book. We've been given the Bible. And through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we come to learn what it means to be godly people. What it means to serve a holy God, 
a just God. But it doesn't tell us what we should do each day, does it? It doesn't give us instruction on you need to wake up at 7 o'clock to get to work on time. You need to wake up at 5 o'clock to get to work on time. It depends on what your job, what time you have to get up to go to work, right? If you have one of these early shifts, you can't sleep till 10, show up two hours late, and expect to have a good report. We are giving the direction of our lives, but the details God leaves to us because He cares for us. He created us in a certain way that we can live in our life according to His will, according to His purpose, because He has given us each talent, each abilities, each gifts, varying degrees. So how does it all work together? Well, let's think about it. So the first servant is received money, and immediately he goes to work after making a profit for his master. His master calls in to settle his account. He sees that he has doubled his money. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter the joy of your Lord. Faithful over a few things. This man was given a vast fortune to hand. The master says, you've been faithful over these little things. In the scheme of things, our human resources, no matter if we're our paupers or millionaires, or billionaires, or quadrillionaires, if we want to use a kid's term. Those are little things in the scheme of the kingdom of God, aren't they? And we have to learn how to balance our human possession with the Creator who has given us all. Because all of our possessions, all of our money, all of our gifts have been bestowed on us by the Father in heaven. And so the one who had five talents went to work right away. And let's talk about that guy in the middle that sometimes we overlook. That second servant. He says, he also who received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. He could have, in light of the situation, seen. That, oh, my master likes this guy better than me. He doesn't respect me like he respects the first servant. He had five talents. I've only been given two. I don't have to work as hard because he doesn't trust me like he trusts this other guy. I can just kind of do a little bit with it and make a little bit of money. And, hey, he could have come back six months from now and I got, got him an extra 20% increase. That's good, isn't it? I can just sit back, kind of take it. But that's not what he did. He realized that, hey, I may not have been entrusted with the five like my fellow servant was, but I've been given two. I'm going to work hard for this two. I'm going to take this two, and I'm going to do what I can with it. And he does, and he doubles it. He doubles the investment. So next time when his master goes away on vacation, he may entrust him with four because he already had it increased to four. You have to, and in the working world, in our human world, earn your own respect. It's not given to you. There is not a great union program that just advances you because you've served so many years. It's about building yourself up in the worth of your master. 
And this master in particular case seems to be a tough guy. Because let's look at the third servant. He said, I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, here is what is yours. Because I was afraid of you. There was a sermon title at one time, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. There's preachers who have pounded on the pulpit and said, you're going to burn in hell if you don't make a decision today. Because if you drink or go out dancing, you're not part of this church. You know, there have been sermons. There may have been some preached out of this pulpit. I don't know. But for whatever reason, this servant looked at his master as a cruel master. As one who demands things. Who reaps where he doesn't sow. Does all this stuff. But the shocker in this situation is the master confirms the servant's suspicion. He said, you knew I was like that. You knew I reaped where I didn't sow, gathered where I hadn't done stuff. You know, it's, he knew his servant and he confirmed his suspicion. So let this be a warning. We serve a holy and just God. Holy is other. Don't get confused with how we talk about Jesus as your friend. Because Jesus doesn't want to come to have a beer with you. He wants to reconcile you to the Father because we are unholy people. We are sinners. We are corrupt. We do not deserve a seat in front of the Father. But because of His sacrifice, because of the blood that washed us white as snow, we have gained a seat in front of a holy and just God. Because when I ask you, do you truly want justice from your adversaries and for yourself? When you really think about it, the answer is no. Because justice for other people requires justice for you. If all of your sins that you have ever been committed are laid bare and you have to make an amends for every wrong you have done to another people, to other persons, do you want that? Many of, many of us, if we are honest and we reflect on how we lived our life and how we have treated the creation of God, that's everyone else besides us. Do we want to stand before the judgment seat and answer a just God who is impartial? Just because he loves you doesn't mean you're going to get away with it. That is what we're talking about. But Jesus makes a difference. Because through Jesus, the Holy Father says, who is this? And he introduces you. He said, this is one of my servants. One of those ones that came to me. And I forgave. Because he trusted in my blood. He trusted in my sacrifice. And I have washed him clean. This Holy One I now present to you. But without Jesus. We are in the hand of an angry God. Jesus gives us a place front. But we're expected to live in a certain way. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I just forgive him every day and he's good to go. That's not how it's supposed to work. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. For I will give you rest. Take my burden upon you. My yoke is easy. 
burden life. But we are expected to take Jesus' yoke upon And that means live in a way that we are stewards of the resources that we have been given. That we try each and every day to live our lives like Jesus has given us an example. That is how we are to live. And each and every one of us are different. Some come from a business background. And they just know how to turn a dollar into two dollars. Or a hundred dollars into two hundred dollars. Or a million dollars into two million dollars. Some of us don't have that ability. We have others. We have some that like to tickle the ivories. They bless our soul week after week. We have some who take their time to study the Bible so that they can come week after week and teach Bible studies so that we all can discern a little bit more on how we are to live our lives in the world outside those doors. So those sermons that you heard talking about use your God-given abilities. The scripture, Romans, that was read today. You are a living sacrifice. We are to sacrifice ourselves. Because we have been given more than we ever ever. There was a campaign or a logo or a slogan. I'm not really sure what you're calling it. But it came out when I was a kid. It's called No Fear. Y'all remember that? It's kind of gotten out of fashion, but you still see them every now and then. These no fear logos. A lot of sports and athletes wear it across their, their practice clothes and things like that. But it was about living your life with courage. With strength. So that you could get the job done. Our third servant lived a life of fear. He was fearful of what his master might do to him if he lost money. He knew his master was a tough man. A man who gathered where he did not go on. But he should have known that if he just hit it, his master would have been furious. But in his fear and his laziness, he became disobedient. He did not live by the motto of no fear did. We can be fearful that we're going to do it wrong. We can be fearful that we're going to lose it all. But remember what those other masters or other servants. They went right away with the assets that they had at hand. And worked hard day after day month after month, year after year, turn a profit for their master. If you're in the business world, you know that you can lose money and you can make money. You don't always make money. Some years you're going to come out better than others. If you're a farmer, you know this. If you just live your life, you know that some years are going to be better than others. But if you're always fearful of failing, you will never be able to be a steward in God's house. For God's stewards, learn how to make a profit 
for their master. This is the first step of We have to learn that these resources that we have are not ours. Our banking accounts have been given to us as a gift. And we have to use them for God's kingdom. But in order to share our resources, there has to be some resources there. We have to have a bit of understanding. So the first step of learning how to handle your finances. Be honest with where your gifts lie. If God hasn't blessed you with the knack of venture capitalist, don't go investing your money there. Maybe your best thing is to do is just show up and work an honest job. 40-hour week, punch the time clock, year in after year in. And over a course of time, you will learn how to live to that lifestyle. Because it gives you access to people that those guys who sit behind a computer do not. Because God has placed us in places. He has selected us and gifted us. So that we may go into certain areas where others cannot. Whether it is factory work, where it is the meat packing plants, where it is in the fields, where it is at the grocery store, coffee houses, you name it. We have been given gifts that put us in unique places. You don't get to go the places I do. I don't get to go to the places. Sometimes those will overlap. But we have been given certain gifts and abilities that will open certain doors. So until we learn how to go about earning a profit, working for our Lord with the resources He's given us, and stop comparing ourselves to the others, stop worrying that we're going to fail, we will never be stewards of God's house. So live your life with no. Live your life in a way that promote the kingdom whether it's through human assets or spiritual gifts. They all work together for the better of the kingdom. They all work to spread the gospel. Use this as a reminder to those very Jews who are listening to the message of Jesus, to those ones who are entrusted with the truth. It was taken away and given to us Christians. Become the bearer of the truth into this world. We have the key. It is found in the gospel. Found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who loved us so much that he came. Of a virgin. Lived a normal life. Humble existence. Of a carpenter whose earthly ministry lasted about three years. And at the end, he was crucified for it. But through the crucifixion in his blood, we have found forgiveness. We have found victory over death for all who believe. But it was in the resurrection that is the he did not stay dead. But he came up out of that grave. He asked you to join. You can stay on the dark. Stay in the grave. Jesus is holding out his hand. 
each and every one. He says, I have already come, but I leave you now in a time of the already and not yet. A time where you have been given the key and the direction. But it is through your gifts you will discern how to leave each and every day. Some I will give you five. But through your work, I will help you double it. To some, I will give you two. And through the places you go, you will double it. But don't be like the one that went and buried it. You had found a perfect gift. Basically threw it away. It says, even if you don't double your profit, you would just leave it out there in the bank. Leave it with a treasurer. Just do your part of where your fear will take you. Still gaining it. But to that one, he says, cast that unprofitable service in the outer darkness. There will be weeping. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for today. We are thankful that you have given us this opportunity to come to the house. Lord, we are thankful for the resources you have given us as a body of believers. Lord, teach us that our money is not our end. That it is your resource. You have given it to us differently. To some with a lot little but whether we fall on that spectrum teach us go without fear you will use it so that your message spread further and wider than we imagine if we are just faithful with what you Because your power lies in the truth. You will help us to carry that truth. And now as we enter our time of invitation, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have decided to make First Baptist Home Church, Or if you're in need of prayer, please come forward.